This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to enjoy the new Dune movies. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. Zamfir was able to, like, get a whole new pan flute room in his house based on the cost of the song from the movie. It was amazing. And by artist and businessman, Mikey P. Pussy Wagon's a lyric in Greece? I didn't know that. We're covering part one of our doubleheader on the American revenge genre classic, Kill Bill, Volume 1. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado, Kill Bill, Volume 1. Mikey P., I am so stoked to have you here. I was just listening to our Goodwill Hunting episode the last time you were on the pod. You were here for the Dune Pod one-year birthday episode. Thank you for having me back, and I'm... Thank you for putting my anxiety to rest because I listened to that over and over again and wonder what I said that I didn't get an invite back. So thank you for helping me sleep at night. Yeah, well, and this is not a vacation episode. This is a real deal. This is a uh, you know number eighty three. So you got a you got a this number on real. your belt. This is I will, real. I will say I'm only here because of Jason though, because my appearance was contingent upon nothing short of a glowing review of Ghostbusters. And oh, for two oh, hours, okay. it was fantastic. And then H drops the four star on that movie. Yeah. And I was this like, is the most wild thing. Uh, H has been like H has been like stargating himself a little bit lately. He, he's got some sort of like Gaussian distribution. He's trying to meet quotas for for some reason. And it's just it's completely bizarre behavior. I'm sure like Kill Bill Volume One will somehow be negative stars just to like get us back into the distribution we need no i think we're gonna be okay i think we're gonna be okay on on kill bill it will be a return to form well thank you for calling that out jason tonight we are kicking it off in the bottom of the hour part one of our two-part double header covering the ultimate american revenge genre classic kill bill volume one yeah Woo. Mikey figured, why not take two episodes instead of taking one? So he I'm will grateful. be here this yeah, week and so next grateful. week. Yeah, how smart am I that I get I crowbar myself into two episodes? That was the whole long play there. I don't even like these movies. I just wanted to be on two episodes. <laughs> this has been one of the best things that's happened to us is to get double <laughs> oh, Mikey. Oh, has that has that ever happened on the on the this pod? I mean, we had Proto for two weeks. That doesn't uh, count. Proto's we, a yeah. Proto's a, a, a book host. A book host, yeah. He's we had, a book we host. had proto for the book host. I think that's it. That's all I can think of. That's never, never been happened. done. Never, never been done. Go, you guys should do the the Fiverr Club from Saturday Night Live when they had go yeah, host yeah. being there five five times. I'll go for that. We're making uh, jackets. Make it. Unfortunately, make it the jackets it. have our face on them, superimposed <laughs> on worms. But he is gonna love it. It's gonna be. I, great. Got, I got my official Doom Pod shirt. I, I see that swag. It looks great on you. Yes. Looks great. Available Merch. now. Shout out! Check out the, our notes for the our show notes for the uh, link to the Dude Pod merch store. Uh, check mm-hmm. it out, and we will give you a direct shout out on video and have some fun. All right. Well, so that is tonight. We are doing Kill Bill Volume One. Next week, we are doing Kill Bill Volume Two. Uh, we will get that going on. So, how about if we get into some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. <laughs> Can we start with? You ever heard of the Baptists? I've heard of them. That's like 
Uh, Some say the most prestigious awards. I mean, they're 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 awards with British accents, so it's got to be it's got to be prestigious. (laughs) So Dune twenty twenty one led the Baftas with eleven nominations. Woo, baby! Congrats, guys! But not director. What the fuck? Wow! Yeah, I'm pissed. I'm pissed. There's some analysis I read. Uh, but it might've been from Johnny Sobchak that was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was like, uh, it was because they used some sort of juried system for determining the director award in the BAFTAs. Nope. Unclear. Unclear. Unfair. Unfair. We're boycotting. We're boycotting the BAFTAs. We're not attending. Adapted screenplay, cinematography, editing, production design, casting, costume, makeup, sound, and visual effects. So hmm. pretty no excited. Actors, huh? Died no, no actors actor. they've no. been getting hammered on that i think mm. um um but i i kind of understand where where they're at so is that a good uh precursor for the uh, academy awards how are you guys feeling about that we're feeling pretty uh, that was going to be my do news i was going to say if we want to talk about our predictions for tomorrow because the nomination yeah, is 10 up. hours yeah yeah very shortly uh by the time you hear this we'll you will know if we were right or not speak on it I mean, I think it's like now that the Baptists are out, I don't think these are particularly fire nomination like ideas, but I, I think we'll end up with nominations for picture, director, editing, cinematography, costume, makeup and hair, music, score, production design, sound and VFX. I think that's what we'll I think that's what we'll end up with. What what uh, didn't get there from the Baptists? I can't I can't do the quick. Can't do okay. the quick math on that. Me neither. Uh, but it's ten. I'm counting. If if the if the answer is ten, uh, I, I I think. Oh, you know what it is? What didn't get there from the Baftas screenplay? I think got a Bafta nom, which I don't think will happen uh, tomorrow. Which I think is wrong personally, um, but that's just that's just me. Yeah, I mean, we know you want to you want to. Is there any category you don't think Dune should be nominated in? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough. I don't. I didn't know there was a separate category for casting. That might be a BAFTA thing only. But that's a BAFTA no, thing only. I think all the stuff that they were like a score, obviously. I, I I think that's that's huge. I think uh, picture editing, yes, sound, makeup, costume, visual effect, all that stuff. That all that all tracks. Yeah, my official prediction is we will get ten nominations tomorrow, and we will win seven. Ooh. Whoa. Yeah, seven Oscars, wow. but not the three, but not but not the big ones. We won't right, win well, you picture don't have to, director. You, you don't have to lock that in right now. Uh, right. But, but so we'll, we'll at least lock. We'll at least I'll, lock I'll in revise. the ten. Somebody yeah, make a note, ten. like put it in the official record, um, so we have put it, it in for the official all, record. You could always re-record that. All right. and just insert what the right answer was, and you can be you exactly can sound like you correct. Yeah, well, we have to record all our we will get leave space here for editing. Does it, is it necessary? Uh, Academy Awards necessary even still for something like Dune? Yeah. Did you see in 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 non-Dune news, but award season news, the Razzies were announced today, mm-hmm. uh, and they added a special category for uh, worst performance by Bruce Willis in a Bruce Willis movie because there were like seven <laughs> Bruce Willis movies that oh, came out oh, this year. Cow, What's happening? Yeah. Like I don't. How, I mean, there's a whole article. There's a whole article about why Bruce Willis is in this state. 
that he's in where he's just doing these movies. And it's basically just like he can get a paycheck for one. He, first of all, he's like he, he can't really move very well right now. And then, two, he can just get a paycheck for, uh, you know, doing like one day. They can say it's a Bruce Willis movie and he only needs to do like sort of like get out of here. And Are you serious? That's it? Yeah. yeah. He's that's like a, amazing. He's, it's like the equivalent of going to conventions and just playing yourself and just making mm-hmm. appearances. Mm, yeah. Incredible. Well, congrats to you, Bruce Willis. Um, Mikey, do you have any Dune news you want to report? You know, I should have brought something to the table. I, I will have some <laughs> uh, one connection from, from this movie to Dune, so we, we can wait for that. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, well, let's welcome some new Discord friends. This week, we had Radianen, H. Hamill, Daniel Zarek, mm-hmm. Jason, former co-worker. Yeah, designer of the hit app OneShot, Daniel Zarek. Also joining us, the Green Phoenix, Curly Alley, who has promised to write some Dune fanfic, uh, which mm. we would love to see in the Discord. And Dr. Is it Blumen or Dr. Dr. Blue Man? Man. Dr. Dr. Blue Man. Okay, it's not yeah. Dr. Blumen. No. Zoidberg. Okay, very good. So welcome to all of you new folks joining. We are so happy to have you. Discord's been popping too, particularly our screening nights. So for Mm. Wednesday, you can come into our our Discord and uh, we will revisit two classic FMV games from the Sega CD era, Night Trap and Double Switch. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that was going down. It's a wild mixed media night in DunePod Discord. So these are video, these are former video games or these are video games that were full motion video. Yeah. Nitro and they'll just stream out or too. whatever. Bran- do they branch or whatever? I've never played either of them. I'm excited to say, I don't know. Okay. We sound like two like really old people now. It's like, are these were, <laughs> these were video games. I didn't Man. play, I, I didn't have a Sega, whatever. What, I, you I, could I'm, see, I'm pretty you sure Night Trap was like banned in like several countries. I think that really? was, yeah that that one had, got a lot of heat because it depicted like realism and violence and Kev says night trap branches. So, anyways, if you're listening to this, join the Chuckle Hut on Wednesday night and and give it a shot. Like uh, it's a free stream uh, and hanging out with a bunch of friends and that'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I do want to call out hot on my glowing review last week. Uh, my review. Uh, we mm-hmm. got a new review in from Derrett sixty eight, and he said. One of the best. The hosts are awesome. Both are extremely knowledgeable and entertaining. Huh? Wow. I feel. I've, is there is there a night big ups coming? Nope. Night, big ups. All right. I don't know. We have to get back to this person and ask them to tr- to choose between. They can't. You can't say both. You have to choose. Stack rank required. In a podcast with only two hosts, you really do have to align yourself with one person. It's like different if there's three hosts. Then you can just be like, oh, I'm there for the vibes. Yeah. Then, and with, with two hosts, you have to align yourself. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. That's it for Dune News for me. Yeah. The only other piece of business was to shout out the... Um, oh, yeah. The sharer of the week who gets a free piece of Dune merch. The sharer of the week this week is Glorious Scumbag on Twitter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, who published a whole, she published a whole really fun Twitter thread about, um, about listening to the, uh, the episode on Dune from the miniseries. Mm. That was great. And, and she tweeted a bunch of live quotes from the, uh, uh, from the episode, including every single department who worked on the show should be ashamed. <laughs> 
Classic. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. glorious comeback. Thanks to you. Uh, we'll be in touch to send you a uh, a gift. Is that the? Is that you sending out the print? Yeah, I've been sending out the print. Might mix it up. Might send out a T-shirt. Probably this will be a print. Maybe next week will be something else. But That's great. Know, continue to share the compare to share the share the pod. We still have about 150 masks too. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, we got some masks left. Where's this warehouse? We got a whole stuff. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's just uh, we got a lot of storage. We got a lot of storage for Dune Pod. Our siege overfloweth. <laughs> Editor's note: Don't tell our wives. <laughs> she she knows. Crystal Crystal knows that we've got a bunch of stuff. Okay, you guys ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. Kill Bill Volume One is a walk on the dangerous and uncertain path through the dark forest of revenge. The bride was an integral part of the deadly Viper assassination squad until she decided to run away and start a new life. Tracked down by its ruthless leader, the enigmatic and powerful Bill, she and her entire wedding party are brutally tortured and gunned down execution style, but the bride survived. Four years later, she emerges from a coma and embarks on a mission of vengeance against those who'd done her wrong. At the top of her death list five are the lethal edged weapon expert, Vernita Green, and the half-Japanese, half-Chinese-American queen of the Yakuza underground, Oren Ishii. Armed with the deadliest Japanese steel ever forged by legendary swordmaster Hattori Hanzo, can the bride win a seemingly insurmountable game of death and make her way down a list that only has one ending when she can finally kill Bill? I was wondering if you get volume one in there. <laughs> yeah. Volume one. <laughs> I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> You're going to have to say the same thing next week. I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow it. Oh, my God. This movie. Holy shit. Mm. Mikey, why don't you start with what was your first experience with Kill Bill? All right. First experience, I think I was just to back up a little, just to talk about where QT was in his career. I was that mm. bro in in college with the the reservoir dog poster on his wall inviting everybody sure. in, putting up that flag that i i'm into mm-hmm. indie movies um mm-hmm. i probably listened to pulp fiction like 100 200 times um mm-hmm. and uh jackie brown loved that movie each and i were talking right before this and Amazing. then he sort of i thought he kind of disappeared because I, I mean there was a big gap between between movies and then um six years six years yeah my so my first experience was I drove up to visit my brother in college. I, I'm working now and I drove him up to visit in college and I went with my friend Aaron, who's like our brother and he grew up with us and he knows what we like. He's like, dude, we're watching Kill Bill as soon as we get there. We're, we're, we got to watch Kill Bill. I got it on DVD. Like, and like, I don't remember this coming out on theater or anything. And I was like, right, oh, wow. Long, long weekend ahead of us, bro. Like, we're, we're not watching a movie as soon as we get there. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hungover Sunday, I think I was like, okay, just put this movie on. He's probably going to talk ninjas to death here. Like wh- he's describing the movie to me. I'm like, what is going on? And I think we watched it twice in like a, you know, a shaded room. Like we just watched it twice. Like wow. it was definitely one of those things I remember where I was when I watched this. And it's, wow. it's rare for somebody to talk about movies so much and being like, yeah, that was great. You were right. Because usually mm. they kind of, you know, over hype it, slim fluence it. Right. I, How about you, Jason? I mean, so, like, yeah, I mean, I saw, I remember... My Tarantino journey began with Pulp Fiction, which I saw in like in the theater. I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs, Tar- you know, Pulp Fiction loved. I was in that same sort of college era where 
um, you know, yeah, you had to have a, a Reservoir Dogs or a Pulp Fiction poster on your wall <laughs> in order to like, you know, matriculate. Like it was just a requirement. <laughs> um, and I, I think similarly, I think I saw, I think I saw Kill Bill when it came. I saw Kill Bill when it came out. I saw it in the theater. But it's. I was realizing when we watched it in the Chucklehead, I'd only seen it once. I think by that point, I sort of. I think I waned on Kill Bill. I saw the second one in the theater too, and I've I, and I've been inconsistent with Tarantino since then. Like, uh, I, I saw Inglorious Bastards, but not in the theater, and I've seen Django, but not in the theater, and then I don't mm. think I've seen the other ones. And so I, yeah, and so I was really excited to revisit it, um, not having seen it in so long. Nice. Yeah, so, your comments, I actually thought it was your first time trying to read. I couldn't get a gauge on you, Jason. I thought it was your first time. I really, yeah, I barely, re- I barely remembered some of the specifics of it. Um, but I'll tell you who do did remember it, like line for line, was my wife, who was like just fucking in love with this movie, apparently, <laughs> unbeknownst wow. to me, and like just a hundred percent, like knew like every line of dialogue in the movie. We've never seen this movie together. I don't know when she's doing this, like Kill Bill. <laughs> Like, you know, research. Um, but she was she was deep, deep in the Kill Bill streets, apparently. Dude, she should do like the bride, uh, the bride for Halloween. Oh, that's strong. In the that's game really of death strong. in the game of death suit. That'd be I awesome. I might be bumped next week for Crystal. She might come on for Villain. Yeah, she might come on. <laughs> so I saw I think I saw Reservoir Dogs um on video and was like, what the fuck is this? And I was definitely very much uh, you know, Clerks and, uh, you know, just a, a bunch of that, it, that whole indie movie was hitting me hard. I saw uh, Pulp Fiction in Berkeley in the theater, and I remember just walking out onto the street and being completely blown away by that. Love Jackie Brown, saw that when I was in Minnesota, and then saw this back out here. And I went by myself, I saw it in Fairfax, and I just remember from the opening shot of this movie being absolutely stunned um, and... Uh, blown away by what they were doing. I always forget about this Minnesota phase of your <laughs> life. Mm-hmm. This, this like northern Midwest phase feels like so unexpected and weird. Like your 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 Fargo yeah. interlude. Yeah, ninety five to ninety nine. I mean, I was mostly inside getting a computer science degree, but also working at a regional network that had been converted to a you know uh, you know a private thing from being a public thing. Um, mm. So it was, I don't know. It was a cool, suspicious. it was a cool experience. It was fucking cold. I'll tell you that. It's very it's suspicious what was going on up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about just quickly about the behind the scenes. So this starting on Pulp Fiction, right? That was the original Genesis Mikey. Yeah. He's, he's uh, in between takes. He said there's, he's work. He's talking to Uma about this movie already and that he wants her to play. And they were kind of kicking around ideas. Um, and it's in the movie. I don't know if you remember Pulp Fiction, but, Uma's character Mia, she has this line where she's telling Travolta about her brush with fame, and she was gonna, she was in like a TV oh, yeah. pilot, right. and it was called right. Fox yeah. Force Five, and she describes yeah, yeah. the assassins, and they kind of sound like the Kill Bill assassins, and so, uh, you know, like Tarantino, I think was thinking of this even when he was making Pulp Fiction, which is bananas, and he, Uma was gonna do it, like, and he um, waited for her because she got pregnant, and then he waited however many years until she was able to do it. Which is amazing. And yeah. I forget who he described it, uh, a director like waiting for Bergman or something. He's like, you just wait. You don't hmm. you don't move forward. Um, you, you and and like so she has like a credit as like having created this character with him. Like this is like, 
you know, she played some sort of formative role in coming up with the whole concept for this. It's a little weird, though, because they they said, I think, story by by Q and you or something, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was like a little whimsical way of doing it, that it would have been better to just say Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman, but... But I mean the 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 import I mean that's the, the import is the same right like he gives her a story credit on this movie which is yeah. unique like I mean like is mm. he giving story credits to other people on other Quentin Tarantino movies like that that seems like a big that seems like it really was they had this like deep creative partnership until it all went south for them interpersonally next week stay next week tuned. we talk about are we saving the saving yeah, that for yeah. next week uh, yeah of course of course all right. <laughs> stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's not always rosy. (laughs) Well, so why don't we go ahead and just get right into this thing? Because there is just so much amazing stuff to to talk about. And like right from the jump, even before the credits start, you have the Shaw scope, um, Mm -hmm. which that's from, that's like uh, Shaw Brothers, uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, action movies, right? Yeah. And what, right, which is like Wu-Tang. Right. Wu-Tang yeah, and all that gonna, stuff. Yeah, the Wu-Tang references, they, they would, for people that know, they started off a lot of tracks with, you know, straight dialogue from the dubs of these movies. The Shaolin Shadowboxing, mm-hmm. the Wu-Tang store style, and it was taken <laughs> from a lot of these movies. Yeah, so that was killer. But then the hour feature presentation, I remember when I used to go to the theater in the 70s, that... Uh, that credit. You had that? Yeah, we had that. Absolutely. I never had that. I never had that jam. But that jam was also obviously affected Quentin Tarantino and Danger Doom for The Mouse and the Mask. Old School Rules featuring Talib Kweli is a killer rap and a killer sample of that song. So just totally love that. We didn't have that in Missouri. What we had was Werenberg Theaters. We had Werenberg Theaters, which is a regional theater chain, and Werenberg Theaters had the dopest opening song of any of, of any of them. It is a bop to this day. They tried to replace it in the 90s with like a remix version and there was like a riot and they had to un- they had to take it back. They had to run it back. Uh, it's an absolute jam. And then we have a black screen with the quote, revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, Obviously, most famously uttered in Wrath of Khan by Khan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like just awesome Klingon proverb, beautiful Mm -hmm. to to tell you that you have a huge mashup of genres uh, that you're about to go on this journey on. Yeah, a big nerd is in charge of this journey is what you're being told. I think it's, uh, you know, it's interesting that I, that's probably like a knock when people that knock this movie is that how much he, you know, quote unquote, rips from other genres. But I feel like what you said is he's been, he's upfront with what he's doing, I think. Um, uh-huh. we, during the mix party, one, the watch party, sorry, uh, Ang, I just want to sh- shout out. And th- they said something about how amazing it is that he copies and makes it his own uniqueness. I just want to quote them. He, Quentin Tarantino, takes the elements he loves and makes them his own thing. The inspiration material is wrestling. The remix is WrestleMania, which I thought was like a great way to like, summarize mm. it. Mm. And I, I mean, like Spielberg and like Lucas, like talking about them, they love stuff about like the 50s and the 60s and they put it into their movies and it's almost like they get praised. And I feel like this one, you know, Quentin was getting kind of slammed for just kind of ripping off this stuff. But I feel like he took it you know, 
he wasn't just this director that went over to Beijing and filmed this movie. He worked with a, a you know not an American crew and went over there and he listened to their ideas and he tried to make something authentic. And I think was pulled off so well. Well, that is true. It's I mean, I I think like when because we were doing in our screening, this is the most kind of in depth researched movie we've ever done on Dune Pod because we were watching all the antecedents in the weeks before as put together by Dune Pod projectionist Silly Oswald, and so. Like, you know, we watched like um, Lady Snowblood, which is phenomenal. Like, it's just an absolutely phenomenal movie I'd never seen. I think the thing that's sort and it is clearly like this movie is a huge homage and like, you know, it has the ends with the song from the movie. He's, he's telling you he's doing it as a homage. I think the difference between and where people get where I have found myself getting a little wrapped around the axle with what Quentin's doing versus what Lucas is doing. Lucas in Star Wars like is lifting shot for shot a lot of hidden uh, fortress yeah hidden fortress and these you know these these world war ii movies like the whole trench run is a shot for shot you know lift from another movie in in the original new new hope the difference though is that it's a genre like the the shots are the same but the genre is totally different right i mean it's a space movie versus a you know versus not quinn is really just doing the lady snowblood movie like with like different actors at at certain times and so it, it does feel a little different um because it's just so um it's so on the nose the the other bit about it is lucas isn't doing that there's no irony in the way in which lucas is doing that those lifts like he is mm. just saying like this is the kind of movie i want to make and i'm i'm paying direct homage to it similarly like you know in in dune villeneuve is paying homage homage to movies he loves like the lift of apocalypse now 2001 um, and yeah in 2001 but they're, they're not they're not ironic lifts like there's nothing tongue-in-cheek about about them the the quentin tarantino style there is a tongue-in-cheek element where it's sort of like I know that you know that I know that you know. And, and so I think it just, I don't think there's a problem with it. I've kind of gotten over my objections to it at this point, but it just, the winkingness of it does feel different as an audience, uh, as an audience member. I think one of the most important things is absolutely every single thing in this works completely if you don't have any idea that any of it, like when I first watched it, I didn't know all of the history of this stuff. I hadn't seen Lady Snowblood. And I guarantee you nine out of 10 of the audience members who have ever seen this film have no idea of any of that. And this is just an absolutely badass, amazing movie that is a hell of a lot of fun um, and works. And so from that perspective, 100% innocent. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. It is interesting. I think it's also bringing awareness you know, to bring up the Wu-Tang reference again, because RZA did, I guess, like he put yeah. together the soundtrack for this. Wu-Tang, yeah. there was a lot of, back when it was coming out, be like, what are they, what is that track intro? And, you know, there wasn't mm-hmm. really, internet was in its infancy and you read in like the source or something like that. These movies that these guys would watch and there was like tape trade. My buddy Adam was like a huge martial arts fan, Jackie Chan and Chai Young Fat. And, and he would have these movies on and it was like finding out, you know, this was in, you know, <laughs> the jizz's track or something like that this was the movie that it yeah. came from and trying to hunt tape trade and find those and without that i don't think really that being sought out like where i was in new york that it was it was going to be common knowledge um well it's hard it's hard to imagine just the impact that quentin had like i saw um hard-boiled 
and the killer and was exposed to John Woo and Chow Yun-Fat because of Quentin, because that it was like, this is why Quentin's doing the double guns is because it goes back to this. Um, and like, I don't know, it just, it was a wild time uh, in the 90s as all of people were being exposed to more cultures. Um, and so it was a natural idea to say, let's put them in a blender and, and see what we can do. Um, yeah, I get both I'm, sides of it. I get, I get Jason's point. And I also think like if he was maybe trying to pretend like he didn't, he did this on his own, like he came up with these ideas, but I feel like he's right, that would be outright. Different. I mean, he has yeah. Miku Kaji's song that she sings in yeah. Lady Snowbird at the end of this movie. Like he's not yeah. trying to hide anything here. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, so now we get to the first shot of the film, which is just the bride breathing against the black screen. And it's so intense and Bill walking. And I had, I had never, uh, you know, done the research to understand the difference between sadism and masochism, but I love, you know, his speech saying, this is me and my most masochistic. Bill? It's your baby. And I just remember leaning back in the seat in the theater like, fuck, man. What the I fuck cannot. is this? Yeah. And then, uh, and then my baby shot me down starts in. I was five and he was six. We rode on. And it's so intense. And the credits are so just haunting uh, and beautiful. This is one of the things, this is one of Quentin's like weird superpowers that I don't entirely understand, which is just like film over film, particularly in Kill Bill and particularly in Pulp Fiction. He manages to get these songs that just become like cultural moments of and apart from the film. Like, totally. like those, those songs just become things that people then think of as being associated with that time more than even, you know, more, more than even the movie itself. Uh, and they end up being used in other ways and commercials and parodies and all these other things. It's, it's just this very strange ability that he has to use songs uh, to, to, to get into the consciousness like that. Kevin chat just called that son of a preacher man from Pulp Fiction, which like, yeah, like just totally had this moment outside of the film itself, which is just a very, it's a very strange thing for a filmmaker to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. It is a superpower. Uh, and he certainly, he certainly knows how to use it. Uh, so the structure. Just talking about that shot too. That's like the reference, oh, yeah. reference to Citizen Kane. And I don't really want it. There, there's really a lot of references and you guys mentioned yeah. Silly Oswald, Billy Oswald for this week did a great, uh, I guess, playlist watch party list for us to watch mm -hmm. some of the movies that it references. Mm. Um, and I don't know if we could go through them all. There are plenty. I found a 11 minute, YouTube video Vanity it's Fair great. put out that's actually really good and it keeps track of all the references. Um, so I mean I don't know if we could go through them all, but like if you you know wanted to find out for yourself, that's I think a good good tracker. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I watched that today and it was it was really good. And I, I don't to me I want us to definitely hit some of the influences that are there because that is a really fun component. Um, but I also really want us to just hit on the vibes, like what are the things that really moved us and uh, yeah, and, and made sure. us feel uh, made us feel in there. So the structure of the film is this notion of she creates. We see at the end of the film she's created the death list five. Um, but each chapter of the book uh, or each chapter of the film lays out, you know, part of that list. And so we start with chapter one, number two. So what about yeah. that choice to have 
you see the list just for a second, but you see that Oren Ishii is already, already crossed out. off. Yeah. That's a wild choice. I like that. That I'm into a lot. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm into that because that's like the classic. That's like, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot that we like in movies, which is just like, you're going to catch up. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, we're not going <laughs> to, right, we're, right. you know, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to spend too much time explaining this. There's a list. We, you know, I mean, we signposted it for you. You know, you're going to catch up. I, I like that aspect of it. Um, I don't know if it's strictly necessary in order to like tell the story they like, it could have been done sequentially as Biria points out, like Pulp Fiction also has an inverted story structure, right? It could have been done. It could have been done a different way. Um, but like, it does make it a more like filmic experience. Cause you're like kind of trying to put together like how this whole thing works. Um, so I, I dig that whole aspect of how he approaches story. Mm. Well, I think mm. even watching Lady Snowblood, it does have that chapter graphic, but it also kind of goes out of order and it kind of keeps going back to this flashback of her origin. And, you know, I'm sure mm. maybe movies did this before, but Quentin, obviously being a fan of that movie, probably saw this a lot. I think this is how you cold open a movie. I mean, it's just 100 miles an mm -hmm. hour right from yeah. the get-go. Yeah. Well, and so her pulling up outside, a, uh, you know, a Pasadena home, and you know, ringing the doorbell, and it's answered by Vernita Green, played by um, Vivica yeah, Vivica Fox. Fox, right? Yeah, my God! But so this is our first time uh, the bride seeing red. <laughs> That is iconic. That sound, uh, it actually comes from the credits for Ironside, uh, and which were done by Quincy Jones. Uh, and that, oh, those credits Quincy are dope. Jones. Yeah, hell yeah. That's also in you, five, five Fingers of Death, which is one of the Shaw yes. Brothers movies. They, the, before they fight, that song comes on. And it's actually this other movie, Death Rides a Horse, with whenever he recalls like a traumatic event. It has the same overlay and scene red. Three, mm. three. <laughs> that's great. Three references that's a one. that's a lot of intertextual stuff, Mike. <laughs> Big time. The table. That's why we get the high powered guests. <laughs> they know it's like it's like reading the Talmud with like an expert <laughs> rabbi. I just thought that was crazy. Layered three references on top of in and put it in this movie. Now it's like a fourth reference. But yeah. I love the I love the home setting, like just like a suburb, like something domestic and supernatural happening in like a domestic suburb is like is inject that into my veins, man. I love totally. That. Totally. And the fact that they're right into the knife fight, right? Like, uh, and, and that fight is brutal and totally amazing. I'm thinking of the shot where like she's walking into the kitchen and she has to duck back uh, to avoid the knife shot and then the, the um, frying pan. But then the, the turn, when they see her daughter, Nakia, uh, who is also four years old, come in, like, that is amazing how they kind of soften and kind of go to truce uh, for a minute. Four-year-old, yeah. though, riding the bus, though. I don't know about that. She said she was four years old. I was like, she's going to school by herself on the bus? What is it? Where is it? Where does it say <laughs> it takes like, what's, what's Pasadena. Is Pasadena? Oh, you can definitely do that in Pasadena, right? Pasadena. <laughs> it's like the Rose Bowl is going to come through and, like, take you to school. It's not a problem. Yeah. Uh -huh. But that cut, so Nakia goes up to her room and them going in more relaxed mode, they're going to have a cup of coffee and talk about it. And mm -hmm. uh, Vernita walks in. I love the fact that the bride closes the door. Vernita leaves it open to maybe get some attention. And the bride's like, no, fuck you. This is like, this is war. 
yeah. but very softly killer. And then we have it in, uh, you know, like them laying out how brutal the bride is and her feeling, how betrayed she is. Yeah, even though it's like a revenge movie, I felt like there was always something deeper about it. And I was trying to read more into, because at, at this point right here, um, Vernita Green, she's kind of like trying to talk her way out of it. And mm-hmm. knowing now that she has a child as a viewer, you kind of feel like, well, it's it's up. Now, like, I don't think you could kill somebody who's a mom now to a four-year-old. Right. And, you know, I was going back to Lady Snowblood, obviously will be something we referenced a lot. And it was written by, it, this is a manga that was written by Kazuo Koiki, who was um, more famous for writing Lone Wolf and Cub. And mm. yeah, I was watching an interview with yeah. him. And he was a Buddhist and a, and a Shintoist. And he you know the name he came up for the character was yuki shura yuki and it's actually a play on snow white that was like his calling her snow white yuki snow and shura it means asura in buddhism as a buddhism term and he said there's five paths this i'm just quoting him uh there's five paths in buddhism and the path of the asura is the most grueling to attain their goals they'll even kill if they meet a friend they'll kill that's what you have to be prepared for in the path of the asura and I feel like the bride kind of embodies everything that he was putting into this character because she says to her, you know, it's mercy, it's mercy, compassion, and forgiveness I lack, not rationality. And yeah. you can tell right off the bat, like she is driven beyond anything to, to get her revenge. Yeah. She says, she says, you and I have unfinished business and not a goddamn fucking thing you've done in the subsequent five years, including getting knocked up is going to change that, especially because of the fact that the bride has lost her child. Right. Um, from being from being shot. So like, it is amazing. She is like a wall and there is not going to be uh, a bit of mercy uh, in there. I like that that was the same, the same guy as the uh, Lady Snowblood was the same as the Lone Wolf and Cub guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's a good Just fact. Lone Wolf and Cub having a big week with episode six of Book of Boba Fett. Uh, <laughs> Choose yeah. the ball and you join your good mother point. in death. <laughs> So, Jason, now let me ask you a question. Vernita pulls a move here. Where, Which cereal box do you keep your gun in? We're a Magic Spoon household. DunePod is sponsored by Magic Spoon. Please use code <laughs> DunePod uh, when you order. Uh, Griffin loves the Magic Spoon, actually. A little free ad advertorial. Uh, okay. And so, uh, yeah, it would probably be in that one. Yeah. Many grams of protein per serving. <laughs> I just, I love it. Vernita is desperate. She tries to make a move, but she can't, she can't get it done. And the bride kicking the coffee cup and then throwing the blade uh, and taking her out. Mm -hmm. But now we have the first of two setups for Kill Bill Volume 3, which is where Nick, Nakia comes downstairs and see her mom is dead um, and just kind of processing it in like a Bruce Wayne moment. When you grow up, if you still feel raw about it. I mean, I imagine she'll still feel raw about it, right? I mean, like, I don't think there's like a, you know, she'll come to understand that it was okay. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. To connect uh, it to Dune, I saw it. There's been, people have been have fanficking this for years since this movie, but Boss Logic made a poster with Zendaya, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh. Wow. Oh. And it's interesting, I forgot. Like, Shut in, the in, door. In Stranger Somebody things, find my, that link, please. Somebody find Maya that Hawk link. Maya Hawke is... I, uh, Uma Thurman's daughter Maya Hawk now acts and she's in Stranger Things so everybody's sort of 
mm-hmm. fantasizing this this movie. I, I think it's been brought up a lot in QT. I think it feels like it's dead, like it'll never happen, kind of thing. But I mean, who knows with him? Yeah. Who knows? I love the idea of Zendaya as a fucking assassin. My God, why haven't we gotten that? That's amazing. Yeah, the poster's pretty Let's cool. Let's go. Oh, Jesus. Man. Yeah. Thank you, Kev. Quinn, Quinn she should be said, in a John Wick movie or something. <laughs> Our queen. Mm. It, it, Quinn has is on the record saying he wants the, the actor, the kid actor that played Nakia when she grows up to play Nakia. But I don't know mm. if she's an actor or anything, but that that girl, that's sense. like one of the cutest girls in, like, in the world. Yeah. Let's have her and look I at bet. you. Nakia. I also like the idea that, like, if you think about it in chronologically, she had just come from Japan and, like, killed the whole, I mean, spoilers, killed all the crazy 88s. And she's struggling with, like, this housewife who, right. I guess, was, <laughs> she was still in shape, I guess. The key goes yeah. to school and she, like, well, tie bows ju- upstairs or the, something like that. It's the jet lag from <laughs> the jet lag. having been to Japan. You know, it's, I mean, that's a really brutal flight. The coming back yeah. from Japan is a really brutal flight. It's it's fun one. story about Japan, jet lag. I took a flight back from Japan, was horribly jet lagged, was the morning when the flight landed, got up to go brush my teeth in the bathroom you know, for arrival at the airport, uh, saw that they had some mouthwash, some green mouthwash in the, in the bathroom. I was like, oh, that's very helpful. Uh, took a big pull off of that. Turned out it was hand soap. And so did a whole <laughs> arrival thing with a mouthful of hand soap. It was not chill. It was, I can still taste it. Congratulations. Jason, Nihongo Kanashimasu ka? No, I don't speak. Oh, okay, I don't really you don't speak, I don't okay, speak okay, Japan. But how long were you again, over there? I, I was. I mean, just like a month. I was like, oh, you know, man. just as a tourist. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you went for work or something. No, that's no, a no. good. That's a good tour. Yeah. You know, we get the voiceover from Hattori Hanzo. That you know, kill whoever stands in thy way, even if that be the Lord God or Buddha Himself. Um, I love that. But she drives off in the pussy wagon. And we cut to chapter two, The Blood Spattered Bride. Mm-hmm. Love Michael Parker as the sheriff with all the sunglasses on the dashboard and son number one. Just his his performance is great. Yeah, the sunglasses were from Gone in 60 Seconds. I didn't know that. The original movie. Mm-hmm. But I always mm-hmm. wonder. It's such a weird thing to put all the sunglasses on there. But he was doing some real Tom Bell, you know, Sheriff Tom Bell yeah. style crime scene analysis, right? I got some I got some real vibes of No Country in this. I love <laughs> I love it. It was just like, oh yeah, this is just Texas all the time. How like, do these guys do this? How do they, like, they are badass. Yeah, it's just authentic. That's just what Texas is like. You just go there and that's what happens. People get shot. Some surly old cur is like, well, we got a real whodunit over here. Whatever. Like, it's just That's just yeah. what they do. That's great. <laughs> oh, man. We yeah. have a large Texas contingent in the Chuckle Hut and they sure that's yeah. very accurate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we should call out. There's going to be a Dune Pod meetup next month Whoa. in Austin, Texas at oh, South Jesus. by Southwest. Corey. Amazing. Yeah, it's happening. It's going to be great. Stay tuned for details oh on God. that. At least one of the hosts, what like the, the more only, popular only, host is only one be there, of them. So. Yeah, the more popular host will be there. <laughs> Not according to that iTunes review. Like, All right. <laughs> so so the bride, it turns out, is still alive. And that is the that is the line uh that I love. Man, it'd be a mad dog. She'd a goddamn good looking gal like that in the head. Look at her. A-colored hair, big eyes. She's a little blood-spattered angel. Son number one? Yeah. It's 
Oh, drink it. Cocksucker ain't dead. Son number one is a fun way of addressing someone. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start calling Griffin that. Son number one, you better eat that magic spoon. <laughs> so now we have L Driver, California Mountain Snake, and the Whistling. Amazing. I mean, this is some amazing shit. The Whistling, also the split screen. The split screen was my first note, actually, for the movie. Because I feel the split screen is like one of those like audacious, like... That's just a lot. Like you're choosing to do like a really, a really wild bit of business. Uh, and the eye patch, right? Yeah, I mean the, eye, the whole outfit is ridiculous, um, but it's great. Just the split it. screen somehow is, um, works. His homage to Brian De Palma movies. He puts that yeah. in a couple of movies, and I also thought this is Quentin. I think I really didn't think of him much of his director like before, even though like regardless of my preamble, like I really didn't think he was doing that much behind the camera. And this one, I just thought he was thinking what's a cool way just to show somebody walking down a hallway and he did this thing yeah even like in Bermuda Green's uh house he has this like crane shot over like her kitchen and he thought about what's a better way to not yeah. do a boring take of just walking which I thought yeah was yeah 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 I I love that I, I this is like one of those things that in Quentin Tarantino movies I feel this whole hospital sequence actually is one of those things that it it really easily could not work like particularly like when you get to like the there's an orderly who's been raping her unconscious and stuff like that. And she bites the guy's lip, all that stuff. It's so it's so like over the top isn't the right word, but it's like so, you know, kind of cartoonish or whatever that like it's a very fine line where you could. And this is early in the movie where mm-hmm. you could really lose the audience in a in an irrecoverable way. And probably he wouldn't be able to do that in a earlier movie of his like he's had to establish like some trust with his audience of like this is a quentin tarantino movie you go on this little genre adventure and, and i i think that that pays off pretty well when it when it works as it does that's here. true mm-hmm. yeah brandon in the discord just to shout him out when we were doing the events he said he could have done without the creepy subplot of like the the rapey buck yeah the rape kind of guy up, yeah but I will say, like, you know, some of the, like, Miko Kaji was also, she plays Lady Snowblood. She was in these movies, Female Prisoner, 701, Scorpion. Yeah. And they're like, and Switchblade Sisters is another reference that, you know, Lady with the Patch. Yeah. That's another movie you watch for this. They are, like, all these movies have the absolute worst man in, in the yes. world. And they're terrible people. And you want them all to die. And I think this yeah. kind of continues that theme. I was also trying to figure out like how she would get out of the hospital stealing a car and it being like we still root for her. Like, you know, as soon as we see Buck, we want him to die, I guess, kind of thing. So right, she does, right, right. <laughs> we want him to die. Totally. Um, totally. I it's, mean, I, I don't know if we have we gotten up to her waking up. I thought it was funny when she, <laughs> you know, she wakes up from her coma and she looks at her palms and knows somehow four years have gone by. I've always that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I so the, there's a whole concept here of the ultra high-end assassin like culture and Mm. everything that that entails and so the amount of like even like as she gets out she hasn't walked in four years so her legs don't work her feet don't work and so she has to figure out how to wiggle her big toe to be able to start moving her legs again she's an expert at body control and she knows every part of her body so intimately and has control over it uh, to such a degree that we can't even imagine. And that's part of why she's able to do the superhuman things that she does. Oh, that's an interesting take. That's good. That's, that's what I'm training. That's what I'm trying to get back in shape now for, <laughs> you know, having been had two kids and 
the pandemic and whatnot. And I'm doing oh, the good. assassin, the assassin training. I'm working. I'm starting on the toe right now. I'm doing the next seven yeah. weeks on just toe training. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah your digit this. mills and uh, digit yeah. mills and pranabindu muscle <laughs> isolating. Perfect. Yeah. Now knowing what we know about Quinn, it's it's weird to see the toes now. It worked back that's then, the, but now that's it's like... the other thing for sure. Like that was called out in our watch along too. Like once you know about the foot fetish, you're like, God damn, like why you're really putting a lot of feet on screen. Like just a whole like as big as you can get it, super close feet for like minutes at a time. Yeah. yeah. Signs mm. were there. It worked back we then. We didn't know we didn't know what we knew then. Well, so we have her then, you know, stealing Buck's uh, truck, the pussy wagon, and uh, and then starting to work on wiggling her big toe. And this is where we kick off chapter three, the origin of Oren Ishii. Which, by and, the way, hold on. Pussy wagon is a lyric in Greece. I didn't know that. Yes. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Greece Lightning. Yeah, she's a real Greece pussy lightning. wagon. The, the, gr- the Girls of Cream. That song is yeah, it's a dirty musical, it turns out. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, Quentin has his truck now, and he, he rents it out to people and when they want to borrow it. Nice. What does that go for, you think? Quentin, <laughs> this is the other thing. Can we just talk for a second? The Please. other problem with Quentin is that everything he does off screen, like that's not mm. about putting things on screen. And as we'll get into next week, sometimes about what he has to do to get things on screen. He just, he needs help. Like he needs like someone looking out for him. He had the whole like Pulp Fiction NFT situation recently, which made no sense. And he got sued right. over. Right. He's how much is, why is he got to be renting out the pussy wagon? Like why, why is that? A, like, why is that a thing? Like, is he on cameo? I'm sure he's on cameo. Like what <laughs> can he not is, are the residual Wait, checks? Can not, we get a shout he's out? Renting it out. I think he's like, <laughs> Can we get a shout out from Quentin on Cameo? He'll call, he's calling in later on today. I will <laughs> I mean, say I've like, got three hundred dollars. I'm sure we. I, I that's can't not enough. It. That is. I not don't enough. know. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I picked this movie, and even though we're we're gonna kind of talk well about it, I don't know about Quentin as a person. I, yeah. I mean, I'm separating the art and the artist here. I think a lot, but yeah. Um, but before that. this, before we move on, though, I just want to go back to when Uma wakes up from from the coma, mm-hmm. and she immediately gives like a gut-wrenching performance that she realizes she's not pregnant and Amazing. it's like a quick yeah 15 seconds but if you don't feel anything when when she's mm-hmm. waking up i mean check yourself for a pulse i think yeah. uma you know he waited for her for a reason i think sometimes action stars get overlooked in terms of performances but i think she does a lot in the acting spectrum in this movie I mean, not just the physical stuff, but she has to come off as powerful and she's vulnerable at a lot of times. I mean, she plays, there are some comedy bits even. I think she does a lot here and I feel like that performance kind of gets overlooked a lot. I agree with that. I, I, I really think she's fantastic in this and like, yeah, it, it absolutely is a performance that should have gotten more, you know, should get more credit. She's doing all, and again, because she has to walk that fine line too between like the dialogue that she gives in that first scene within the Vernita confrontation is, is actually just absurd. Like it's so stylized <laughs> to be like ritual revenge language, totally. but she has to deliver it convincingly, uh, like with heart and like the whole, like, you know, if you still feel sore about it, like that is like fairly corny, like on its face, but she makes it work. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive stuff. This is one of the great cinematic, like acting performances. This this is unreal work that she is doing here. The combination of the physical and the emotional, being able to take the damage and have the resilience and build the core and to be moved um, as she goes through all of these experiences. And there's 
real moments of tenderness and power in this film. And then especially in volume two, it's like a whole nother, whole nother mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. I think just a, just a, I'm trying not to, but just to mention Lady Snowblood again, I think it came from a place, <laughs> especially the manga where women were not the main star of movies or, or stories and certainly not sure. the ones doing all the killing. And I think it, it's paying homage because it kind of blazed a trail for this non-sexual female lead. And I say that in the sense that I think there's a lot of groundwork being done where women are trying to be, they're trying to make them more of like the central character. And sometimes they still kind of go into like the Black Widow, like spandex type of sexy outfit kind of thing. And I think for, even though they're attractive, they're not, that's not the point of these movies, I think, which I think comes mm-hmm. across pretty well. It's a good, pretty good balance. Mm-hmm. Totally. Agree with that. All right. Well, so now we have a seven minute anime segment of this film. Um, I had a hundred percent forgotten that this was in what? the movie, and I a hundred percent forgot that there was a, a seven-minute anime by the folks who did Ghost in the Shell, like in the middle of this movie. Like it is fucking wild that this is. I mean, again, like this is this is you have to kind of just be like, all right, if you can make this work in the middle of a movie, good work, good job. Yeah, you managed to pull something off. And production IG, the style that they have, mm-hmm. that they embrace here versus what they did in Ghost in the Shell, which was like really beautiful and amazing and intricate, but the sort of like sci-fi and much more grounded. It was more, tra- it was more controlled. It was like more like the Ghost in the Shell style is much more like controlled. This is much looser. Yeah. Like her, her dad fighting the guys and like where he's like, he's punching them in the face and like exploding their faces yeah. as he's doing that or when he is killed. And this is Bill, right? So, so Boss Masamoto is killing Matsumoto is killing Oren's father when she's right. like five, um, or sorry, when she was nine. Um, but Bill is the assassin, right? With the ring, who who does the actual killing? Oh, I didn't catch that. Is that is yeah? That, true? that was one is of my questions. Out? Like, did she? Yeah, how did she work for Bill when when? And I, and I think she was under the bed, maybe, and she didn't recognize it, but. Oh. Yeah, that's what was my question. Did Bill kill her dad? And she ends up being working for Bill. It's kind of weird. He definitely did. Like they had the ring and they showed the ring yeah. um, oh. when he was on the phone and then they, sh- they show that. it here. There was, I think Quinn wanted to do some anime prequels or, or some more filler. And I think he just ended up writing this seven minute thing. But I think he was going to do like an Animatrix supplement to, to, to this. And that's why he hired this, this production company. Mm. Um, huge hey should you catch the miller's crossing underneath the bed yeah exactly (laughs) so when she gets her revenge on the boss like both taking him out and then taking out his men um i just love there's the shot when the men come running in after she's just killed boss matsumoto and just her head lolls to the side like so Mm -hmm. slowly it's just absolutely gorgeous um and really amazing and then her by 20 she was one of the top female assassins in the world like the music that kicks in and it looks yeah. like fucking it looks like Sicario like the shot of Panama and the cars driving on the street and then mm-hmm. her shooting the guy from up on the roof unreal well before that too I like how she got revenge on, on Boss Masumoto and somebody yeah. I forgot who it was in the discord but they said like because <laughs> he's saying the movie luckily for me he was a pedophile yeah <laughs> whoever it was said like that was the only time you're lucky somebody was a pedophile yeah <laughs> that was so funny yeah <laughs> thank god there was a pedophile god. involved <laughs> so asshole oh man um so yeah so quinn now- taps into some like sexual deviance i mean especially with the buck stuff he he really taps into some some weird yeah 
There's something, something in there's that some issues brain. there. Yeah, there's some, mm-hmm. there's some issues there. So, so now that we've established Oren, then we cut to my favorite segment of the entire film, which is chapter four, the man from Okinawa. Mm. Um, so first of all, Mikey, talk to us about Sonny Chiba. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Tarantino grew up in LA. They got a lot of Japanese television over there. And one of his favorites was a, was a TV show called Kage no Gundan, um, which Shadow Warrior was played by Sonny Chiba. Mm. And he played a character named Hattori Hanzo and they would film like a season with Hattori Hanzo and then they would take a break and then come back and film another season. It'd be Hattori Hanzo the second and then they do a third season of Hattori Hanzo the third. And then so Sonny Chiba is playing Hattori Hanzo in this scene and it's, you know, his idea to be like Hattori Hanzo the 95th or something like that, which I think is super cool to like take something mm. from your childhood and just continue the character with the same actor Sonny Chiba looked phenomenal in this movie. Amazing. <laughs> like he, and well, how and old is he? Amazing. Acting amazing. I mean, their banter back. In, I love that it wasn't just her walking in and being like, looking for a guitar. He does yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. comedic routine. Their banter. I am still smitten by this whole scene. Um, and <laughs> when he when he says, Konnichiwa, please repeat. <laughs> Konnichiwa? Ah, 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 ah. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa, please repeat. Konnichiwa. Perfect. Good, good, good. You said Japanese word like you Japanese. Oh, now you're making fun of me. No, 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 no. Serious business. Pronunciation very good. <laughs> I I said serious business for decades. Like that. That was definitely like a Herrero family line. It reminded me of uh, Luke and Yoda's first encounter, where where somebody uh-huh. was playing playing coy and they weren't playing who they really were. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The uh, the great uh, this is this is also like one of the classic like Tarantino long scenes that's mm. like about establishing you know there's a dramatic tension where you know that something's not on the level uh, but like it takes a while to get there and it he just like lets it play out and he lets it play out through small talk like we'll just like you know just do like minutes of like you know. Oh, like, do the cows, you know, where, where does the milk come from? How many cows do you like? You'll just like do that for forever. Uh, and it just like, it just like really, so, again, it's one of those things like it could just be corny. It could just like her showing up, like pretending to be a tourist when we know she's not a tourist could just be like, what the fuck is this? But like, and Sonny Chiba could also just be corny, like a weird throwback to like some, you know, specific genre memory that Quentin Tarantino had. But somehow it it's not just, like the it feels cool because it's this throwback like callback reference to this old you know old archaic piece it works in and of itself uh because he's very cool and the character is very cool and it somehow just like has a tension that's real i love it it's wild we have to shout out gordon lou who plays his assistant here yeah exactly yeah and the uh, get the sake understand i'm not yeah. bald i shave my head understand like yeah. part well, of and- it and then he drops the glass when she says Hattori Hanzo. Like this, the, that's like one of those elements, like where, you, like where it's like you hear the glass shatter in the background. Like that, there's just that's just this weird Tarantino magic that only he's able to do. And it's establishing that Hattori has left the game. He right. literally is running a sushi place that's not busy, um, right. and this is his retirement where he is basically paying penance for made, you know, weapons of, of death. Weapons of death. Yeah, for, for all of those years. And so that notion of the flip, once she says she needs Japanese steel, and they go upstairs into that room, the music in that scene is so 
amazing. It's so haunting and so beautiful. I just, and the reverence as she pulls that sword out. This is a weird scene too, because like the, the upstairs as well as the bar, but particularly the upstairs for some reason reads as like so clearly a set. Like it looks so yeah. clearly staged yeah. and you know, like all the way the swords are lit and like the way the light comes in from the outside, it all just looks like you're looking at a soundstage and, and like there's something that's like somewhat intentional. There's something intentional about that where it's like he's trying to show the artifice. He's, he's willing to push his luck in showing the artifice of how contrived this whole movie is and this whole concept of she needs to go get a sword made for her at this point in the movie. And yet you buy into the contrivance because it's well done and it's a cool bit of business. I think it also makes it such a balanced movie because you have, I mean, if you look at it like music, like there's such craziness in the beginning and it's bookended by some craziness. And this balance of you know, slowing down and especially before what she's about to do. I mean, Quentin is off the wall when you talk to him and he just that he's able to, as a director, do something like this, I think speaks volumes to like his talent. Um, yeah. you're, so, you're so right about the intentionality, Mikey, of, of slowing down. Like she challenges him and says he, he, you know, he says he swore on an oath. He won't make any more, any more weapons. Um, but she says that it's his, you know, his former student that is the problem. Mm -hmm. And when he comes and he writes Bill in the, in the, the fog on the, uh, on the screen and the way he like does the, the eye, the, the eye, dot yeah. on the top, like it's yeah, like yeah. a kanji character yeah. or something like yeah. that is not by accident. That no, is it looks cool. total precision. Yeah. It looks really cool. God, I noticed that too. It's refreshing to do like, uh, that he's not like an old hermit or something like that like a grumpy yeah. hermit that living in the woods like he yeah. was just a completely likable character and you almost like him even though he did make these instruments of death he's trying to make right on what he did uh, the music is great a uh, shout out yeah. to the guy in the subway right after this movie came out but he had the like the <laughs> the music's great the because it's a flute? mix of like the pan flute and it's like the yeah. music with this marconi kind of uh, beat to it I guess and this guy in the subway owns a song for me because I think for like a full year riding the train he would just like be there panhandling like playing this music but <laughs> it's my time I've been working <laughs> on the band flute for 10 years even now like I'm still thinking about it it's unbelievable this song is to me the best thing in the in the whole movie like this song is absolutely incredible and you know as he you know Hattori tells him it's going to take a month to make the sword um, and she better spend it practicing and we go to the ceremony as this song is playing out and we get Hattori's language um, as he's speaking in Japanese and he says I've completed doing what I swore an oath to God 28 years ago to never do again I have created something that kills people and in that purpose I was a success. I've done this because philosophically I am sympathetic to your aim. I can say without ego that this is the <laughs> finest blade I have ever made. If on your encounter you come upon God, God will be cut. <laughs> Yellow-haired warrior, go. And she says... I want lightsaber ceremonies like this. I cried yeah. pulling the fucking sample, man. Yeah. Like, it is un... 
real how intense and, and <laughs> he is so centered right like uh hattori is so locked in and then gordon Liu, his assistant is like so serious and ready and helping yeah. um so like yeah. all of the pretenses away yeah that's a good point i think the music like we said is like the perfect music and not to just to backtrack a little um when we're talking about the music and i think guess rizza put it together but he wasn't like you know not this like officially well, I think he Not like this compiled, song. I, I think he compiled all these songs. Or he was something like song like supervisor. Yeah, and it wasn't like he gives him credit, but it wasn't like he officially asked them to put this together. They just kind of got to talking. They met at some premiere for Iron Monkey, and they started talking about kung fu movies. And he's telling about mm. his project. He's like, "This song will be good here. This song will be good here." But in second second pot in a row, I'm going to mention Lars Ulrich. He was on. Uh, Howard <laughs> and he talked about. He talked about he's friends with Quinn, and Quinn was t- saying, "I want you to lay a score." For this next movie that's coming out it's going to be kill bill uh-huh. and i think you guys should play like original music and it's going to be like kind of heavy throughout the whole thing and you can kind of play light like during certain parts and lars is like when he was telling them this movie he's like what the hell are you talking about this sounds like yeah. bananas. this sounds like a bonkers movie i think i'm gonna pass bro and then like later on he's like it wasn't right but like i kind of was jealous of like the final product like we it could have been cool i think if we made something of it but just had a shot oh my that god out. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm very glad they were not involved in this. And, and the, RZA, the RZA took it. But shout out to Zamfir, who was like a like TV, uh, you know, like on sale records. There's absolutely no reason in the universe that the song could possibly be used um, or found by anyone for this purpose. And it has so much gravitas. When the trumpet comes in, it's just like, fuck, man, it's the best. Zamfir was able to like get a whole new pan flute room in his house based on the, <laughs> on the cost of the song from the movie. It was amazing. It's a beautiful right. ivory inlaid pan flutes. I think it adds collection. a lot of it adds a lot of weight to what's about to go down. Absolutely. All right. So now we have Chapter Five Showdown at House of Blue Leaves. We have the introduction of Oren's crew: Sophie Fatale, Gogo Yubari, and Johnny Mo. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I love these characters, man. Uh, and so Gogo, Gogo is the actress who was in uh, Battle Royale. Yeah, he was just like, I'm getting her. She did great <laughs> in that movie, which was yeah. another, which was which I didn't know until we again had the screening in the Chuckle Hut, thanks to Silly Oswald. Mm-hmm. Plays the same character, and she has the same um, predilection for stabbing dudes in the balls in both movies. So yeah, she's got a thing. She's got everyone's got a kink in this movie. Yeah. Mm. Did you know? Hey, did you ever hear of like Serpent Society? I didn't realize this. All the names like Copperhead and and yeah. Black Mamba was from Captain um, America. Yeah, I, didn't, I never I never knew that. Yeah. By yeah, the way, yeah. I liked when Vernie Green her her con- point of contention was that she wasn't called Black Mamba. Going back. To yeah. That like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we're we're introduced to Lucy Liu, and she was casted. He, of course, it's going to be like an all Japanese crime boss, but he casted Lucy Liu, who isn't all Japanese, and he rewrote the whole part. To be a Chinese, like, okay. Japanese here's American. why she's Chinese. <laughs> well, I think. Well, and I think it's also like really good that it it makes it, um, yeah, you know, a problem within within the ranks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes the, for a great introduction yeah. introduction scene. Boss yeah, Tanaka, Boss Tanaka is not pleased to have a half Japanese Chinese Mm-mm. American uh, no. woman at the head, and I love. He's like this council who I love more than my children. Like, I love <laughs> the fact that he cares that much that he is ready to die. Um, maybe he doesn't think it's going to happen quite so fast, but yeah, uh, yeah. that scene is great. The price you pay for bringing up either my Chinese or American heritage as a negative is, I collect your fucking head. 
Just like this fucker here. このファックやろうと同じようにね。Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! I love when she's talking <laughs> to the.、So. After she kills. <laughs> the price you pay for bringing、yeah. up my Chinese well, or American that, heritage. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm going to speak English so you know I'm speaking serious. Right. Like, we'll、yeah. speak a language that's none of our yeah, first yeah, language yeah. here. I thought it was.、Yeah. Julie Dreyfus, by the way, I was, I was noticing her Japanese is flawless. And I, I didn't, I was like, every time I watched it,、yeah. like, this chick really worked with a speech coach really well. Because even like as good as Uma is or anybody else, you could tell they're. Japanese is phonetically being remembered, but Julie Dreyfus was flawless. And I was like, I have、mm-hmm. to find out more. And of course, it, she like been studying Japanese since she, 1985 or something like that. So、Crazy. no wonder. Yeah. She, she、really? like, went to college and she was like ingrained、wow. in like Japanese culture.、So、she was actually in,、um, you guys ever watch Iron Chef Japan? It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was one of the,、yeah. like, the pastry judges or something like that would come on. And I forgot about、oh, her. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was over there speaking Japanese. Yeah. Oh,、Dreyfus. yeah. Man, Julia Louise Dreyfus. You talk about like discovering something when you're in college in the、mm-hmm. 90s, like sort of、mm-hmm. in that period before the internet when you could like find、God. things and think you were the only person that ever stumbled upon it.、Yeah. Like the original, like the Iron Chef, the Iron Japanese chef. Iron Chef. Yeah. On a cheesy! To realize his dream, he secretly started choosing the top chefs of various styles of cooking. And he named his men the Iron Chefs, the invincible men of culinary skills. You, it was just like, I was like, I have seen another dimension. I didn't know this、yes. was a television show that could exist. Absolutely enamored with that show. We、yeah. watched it, we watched it in it. 2000. And it was only broadcast on the Chinese channel in the Bay Area, channel 26,、mm. but in Japanese with Chinese subtitles. So、oh, we、wow. had no idea what anybody was saying. We were just watching <laughs> it、great. and we were like, this is unbelievable. And then the Food Network did the translations. Oh my God. I like cuisine. Amazing. Yeah. Like、yeah anybody out there who thinks Iron Chef is the American version, do yourself a favor and go watch Iron Chef. Yeah.、Okay. Yeah. No shit.、Um, It, maybe it's streaming on Pluto. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, it's a Pluto exclusive. <laughs> All right, so we have the smash cut now to the bride. One, One ticket, ticket to Tokyo. Tokyo And just the absolutely amazing scene of her driving around on a motorcycle to Flight of the Bumblebee, which is actually Al Hurt's rendition of the Green Hornet credits. All right. Green Hornet, which starred Bruce uh, as uh, Kato. So lots of, lots of callbacks there. But I just, I love that. And then, like, driving in the car,、uh, you know,、um, Oren and, and all those folks. And then we have the switch to the battle without honor as we have the walkthrough of the House of Blue Leaves. Like, I mean, how, how did you feel when this, when this dropped the first time you saw it? The Wonder, you mean? Yeah. That's pretty good. Oh, well, even, even before the Wonder, even before the Woohoo. Uh, one、oh, okay. just the just the just the intro into like when she drives off on the motorcycle and that music starts to come up, and then it's the them walking into the into the house of blue leaves. It's funny. So, Crystal said when we were watching this that she was only gonna watch、uh, until the duel between 
uh, Lucy Liu and Uma Thurman. She was only going to, I was like, oh, I, I can't, <laughs> That's I got other stuff I got to do now. I got to watch the, I only watched the duel. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really remember the movie well enough to like know where, where it was. <laughs> and like, it's because like this whole sequence is just so good. It feels like, it feels like it is the point of the movie is totally. the whole, is to get to the, to get to this whole showdown in Tokyo. Mm. Yeah. This long crane shot, I think this would put this movie over the top for me. I think, um, you know, Without this whole big finale, I think it, it solidified it as one of these. I'm thinking like Star Wars without the Battle of Yavin or something like that. You need this mm-hmm. scene in there. Yeah. The five, six, seven, eight is just because it was coming up. But Quinn tells this terrible story. It, the way he tells it is just like insufferable. But he was in a clothing store in Japan. He's on his way out to fly to America. And he's listening to the song. It was a five, six, seven, eight on 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 speaker and he's like i need to know what the speed I, I need i need the cd you gotta tell me who it is and they're like oh go to tower record kind of thing he's like i'm leaving now i need the cd that you're playing right now <laughs> get the manager i'm buying the cd and they're like All right. he's like honestly if they didn't sell if they didn't do that i would have probably forgotten about it but he's like i he flew them out to beijing and in um they perform they they had their own uh outfits and they played their own they had like a concert you see them later on i'm sure they jammed and like you see quinn mm. all probably coked up like dancing to this music <laughs> but i think it was a good <laughs> it felt like uh it felt like you were there it really said because she's gonna use every single part of this of this club and it just felt like it's such a great introduction of just time and space of where it was i thought it was so cool mm-hmm I mean, that was definitely kind of like slapping it down on the table um, in terms of that long shot, right? Following Uma to the bathroom and then coming back out, following Sophie slapping and going, and going back. Like, Jesus. Slapping what down? This is what, this it's is an what aggressive. You, you, get, a, you get too deep into Quentin Tarantino world. H starts talking about slapping a down Slapping a table. foot down on the table. I don't know. Jesus whatever, Christ. Yeah, I don't know. But, well, I feel uh, like this is like creative juices flowing. Um, Quentin did an interview with Time Magazine and he talks about... <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but he talks about how great it was to shoot in Beijing with that crew because you could work them, you know, eight to 12 oh, hours no. a day, six days oh, a no. week, and <laughs> and which is not very pro-union or anything like that. But I think it kind of was a great concentration of working with his stunt coordinators, which we'll mention, and just he had certain shots that he wanted to do, but they were able to just like freely just do certain things, just have fun with it, certain goofs. And I think you get like some sort of... I don't know, one time only type of uh, fun with, with, with the scene. But it was supposed to be two weeks to shoot this segment and it was eight weeks <laughs> to, to right. shoot it. So they definitely they definitely took their time uh, yeah, going for it. He's boasting. It's so cheap to make movies there. It's awesome. Yeah, so we can take four times as long. Exactly. All right, so let's talk about it. So she has the Game of Death jumpsuit, which is absolutely iconic. Amazing. She, has, she, she looks has, great. Yeah, she looks phenomenal. She's got her Hattori Hanzo uh, uh, sword, and she is in action. So she just starts taking people out. And so the pacing and the storytelling, this is a thing that we've talked about before. On The Matrix, You know, the Wachowskis said, especially for Reloaded, they said every fight should tell a story. Like the purpose isn't just to have a fight. Mm. It's to, it, it is to advance the story and what the character is learning through the process of this. And this is... Maybe a little less purely on that. This has a lot of just pure, just badassery that's, that's happening. Yeah, but those first couple fights, the, the initial two or three people coming at her and her just cutting them down. So what's the deal with like the vibrating blade and hitting the blade? Uh, is that like in other movies? Is that like a tradition thing or is that just something that looked cool? 
Hey, have you ever used a sword on somebody? <laughs> <laughs> I, you, I'm surprised you don't know that because I assume you had been through like a, a samurai <laughs> training phase. <laughs> no, no, no. I never actually had a samurai sword. Like okay. definitely, uh, you know, throwing stars and nunchucks. Yeah, nunchucks. You watch, you watch some like knife show on the Home Shopping Network, though, right? Like you watch, you have some full tank construction. I don't so know about like, that. You 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 looked you looked at some some tantos, I'm sure, right? <laughs> I don't I no, I was never that interested in the bladed weapons. There was like there was probably somebody like you know, like hanging out late at night in Gainesville. Like there was probably like some guy who we were scared of who like had you know wanted to show you his katana and you're like, This is I gotta go, man. This is not good. I don't know. I think when you moved to like Minnesota, there was like a fire sale on like a whole armory of like Shogun weapons. It was just like, we got to get it back. So let's just talk about the, the, you know, getting like once things absolutely go nuts. Any more subordinates for me to kill? Hi. Oh yeah. So talk about go, go, the go, go fight. Go-Go Fight is great. We've had a lot, a long-running conversation in Discord about, uh, well, God, I forget what it's called, Kick Darts? What's the name of the Yeah, thing? Kick Dart, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kick Darts are dope as shit. Uh, this is a good weapon. Uh, there's some good Kick Dart TikToks as well. You can get really down a TikTok <laughs> rabbit hole of Kick Darts. Meteor Hammer, says Hex. A Meteor Hammer? Love it. Whatever she's got, it's awesome. Big but fan. she does it around her leg. She does it Love around it. her neck. Like she's doing all sorts of crazy ass moves. Yeah. Inspires yeah. a whole new generation of, of kick darters. Yeah. God. She, she this was is like, like the, the mini the, boss. She was like the mini boss. Like when you play video games, like you beat all the little, little henchmen. The little bosses. The mini yeah. boss before the big boss. Yeah. Age, totally. As a, as a father of a son, doesn't this make you worried though? Like, don't you know, like at some point you're just going to have to deal with like Sam's kick, you know, kick dart interest like it's just gonna be it's, it's a summer camp be. a kick dart summer camp i was talking to i was talking to a friend of mine when we were ha- expecting griffin and i was like yeah it's great i was you know we're excited to have a boy and i was talking to a, a dad of two sons uh-huh. uh, and he's like yeah it's great he's like the only thing is like boys are just you know nuts like they they will break all your stuff and like cause max mayhem pretty much from the start and until they leave your house he's like as a as an example as a story um i once came (laughs) i once came home and uh as i pulled into the driveway i saw my oldest uh with a bow and arrow and he was going uh to shoot a playing card out of the hand of my other son who was standing across (laughs) the lawn and i had to be like Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and I just feel, I just feel like, I just feel like it's going to happen. I feel like they're going to get into kick darts now because all the TikToks tell them it's cool and possible for them. Mikey, how old's Logan? Well, yeah, he's, he's eight. I don't think I'm going to be showing him this movie for a while. Keep the kick darts out of the baby's hands. <laughs> what's his, what's his favorite weapon? What, what are you training him on? <laughs> what's he trained in? <laughs> what's his best he's weapon? That, he's building weapons with Legos right now, probably. Yeah. Nice. He's a big Lego man. Nice. Um, uh, but I did going back. I just want to talk about Ying Wu Ping, who, who's oh yeah, who's yeah. Quinn, Quinn hired, and you mentioned the Wachowskis, and he was heavily involved with the Matrix and launched Jackie Chan's career. Crouching um, Tiger and, it's, and Crouching Tiger. So I'm surprised that none of these references kind of kind of mention in these videos. But it seems like yeah, heavily influenced in, in yeah. his fighting style. 
It's beautiful. What, like even though it's, it's chaos. Yeah, even yeah. though it's chaos, it, it's what you said. Like it was telling stories, and it, you could kind of, you know, really know where they were and at all at all times. They get wacky too, like with like the sound effect stuff, like the sound effect of like the backflip and then the bowling ball, the tightening yeah. chain, <laughs> right. the Wilhelm scream, like all that stuff. Oh yeah, the, uh, the Wilhelm yeah. scream. Yeah. I love yeah, I love that I pointed out to my son and he can he can watch Star Wars and he, he now can this, hear it. It's yeah, kind of a great. curse it's to like tell someone about the world. <laughs> it really is because yeah, then really you is. then you hear it everywhere and it seems kind yeah. of fucked up. But yeah, just to talk about the fighting more, I just want just to mention Zoe Bell. We can't we can't forget to mention. Oh her. Yes. Was like, my god! Of yeah, she mm. she was promoted to like Uma's body double and she's gonna follow like Quinn. He was so impressed with her, um, but she was she was hurt a bunch and in, in especially in the second movie she gets really hurt. But she was worried yeah. that she was gonna get kicked off, and she just like kept plowing through. And um, wow, I didn't know this. She was she was Xena, Warrior Princess. She was she was like the the stunt person in Xena, and yeah, she had she did it for so long that she said she was like when she was working on this movie, she was instinctively had to untrain her brain to not fight like Xena. Like she had a right. She had a. It, it, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, it's just killer. Um, so two things. The score really kicks in here um, in a couple of different ways. So you have the RZA score. <laughs> During the midst uh, of the fight that is, that's really great. And I think the way he, like, this genre is clearly in his DNA all the way. Um, and so I love how he's able to use that. Um, but then once you have that song, that nobody song, when she's doing the floor routine and she's got the double things and, and cutting everybody down, but then the lights go out and the silhouette, which was mm. obviously Deacons and Skyfall calling back to this. <laughs> it is beautiful. It is beautiful. I love the final piece when the lights come on and as right as she's about to kill that guy. And so she starts spanking him with the sword. Uh, that is awesome. And she defeats Johnny Moe, cutting him off at the knees. Like, their fight on the banister is crazy. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just insane. Someone said in Discord that the part that's in black and white had to be done to avoid a NC-17. Correct. Yeah. That's a bummer. A whole bloody affair is not black and white. It's what does that uh, mean? What is whole bloody affair? Well, I mean, they were originally intending us to be one movie, and we probably would have lost things for runtime, like the beautiful scene we had with Atori Hanzo. Um, and the whole bloody scene is like a recut of oh. both movies together. And it's interesting where this movie ends, and when we get to it, there's not that rundown, and you don't know she has a has a baby. So when you get to part two, you you kind of are hit with more more of the dramatic. Um, shock of, of what we find out but uh, it's supposed to it's intended to just kind of go right into this fight into the next one yeah they shot that after the fact the clothes like the the trunk scene and the setup mm -hmm. of the clothes because harvey felt like it wasn't going to be a strong enough clear message of why people had to come back for part two um they really yeah. wanted to put a button on it um but so they did in 2011 sally menke who was quentin's editor for all of his movies up to this point before she passed away she did do a cut of the whole bloody affair and actually they did screen it at the beverly um but it's never been released never been okay. made available anywhere um, okay, okay and we want it i think hbo max had it at one point no they, no they didn't do it no they put it up there like no. for a little bit no 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 okay no, we definitely would. Jeez. Hey, no, no. 
I like um I do like when after she's done cutting down mowing down everybody she does a whole like uh King Kong speech to everybody but leave your limbs mm-hmm. they belong to me which I think is so badass and it's also yeah, like a awesome. callback to volume 2 we see her her master Paime he says the same thing to her which I thought was great There's also a part 2 where I think it's be- maybe it was before the the rest of the crew show up but um lucy oh, wait, wait, don't don't spoil part two yet no i'm not i'm not but lucy lu says a oh, little caucasian girl plays with samurai swords I oh yeah 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 one of the things i think people always say like it's reappropriating um you know white uma thurman as this ninja assassin and i think saying that line costal says like yeah we're self-aware like what we're doing right here. right we um, know what we're doing i think she earns her stripes on this well, speaking of, that's where we are. So now we have the final Snowblood, uh, you know, Lady Slope, oh. Snowblood-style showdown. Lots of um, clapping. Lots of clapping. Uh, don't let me be misunderstood. Uh, this song is absolutely incredible. And yeah. the quiet of the snowfall and the water feature that's just filling up. The water up feature's and- great. Shout out to the production designer who came up with the water feature. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Amazing um, shit. And the bride getting cut down, but getting back up. Um, and the thing, this really struck me. These guys were like family. Um, mm-hmm. It's clear there's like jealousy and, and frustration, like between L and her and between O-Red and her. They're all playing for Bill's affection, ultimately. They did have right before that one. It's so stupid in a way. And it's, it's sort of like, why do they say that? But when she says... I thought this was the last one. And she was like, oh, silly rabbit tricks for kids. And they say each other's line. It was, there was like a connection. Exactly. We said like, yeah, you forget that they were teammates and that kind of felt like, man, they were probably friends once like goofy friends. Um, Another strange serial reference. (laughs) And so you definitely have the sense now uh, things change uh, and the bride begins to get the upper hand. And so she then waits for when Oren is ready to die. And you have that last, uh, you know, tangle and her being cut down. And then yeah, we it's have- interesting too. Oren also, just like Renita Green, tries to get out of the fight. And she kind of almost pleads for mercy. And again, she is relentless. She's, she's on a mission here. Mm. The sound effects I feel of that fight, even though we just saw like 20 minutes of like mayhem, the, f- the cuts, <laughs> the sound effects of those cuts feel deep. Like I feel like I feel those those cuts i just love them like running running by the fence like from yeah, one side to good. the other yeah it is amazing that they make this duel like still feel like the big boss fight after you've just seen like a floor full of limbs uh like you know so much blood that the you know the koi pond turned bloody or whatever you know it's just like you've seen like the most action you can possibly imagine seeing uh and yet they still kind of up the stakes and make it work mm. And so, uh, you know, we have the Lady Snowblood song uh, play out, and then we go mm-hmm. back to... Uh, song by know, Meiko Kaji. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The actor, the actress. Of the actress. Of, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. And then we go back to the Zamfir song, uh, you know, back to the ceremony song. And we have, I love, this is one of my favorite things. She's flying in first class, um, and she's writing out Death List 5. And everybody in first class has sor- has their Japanese swords their samurai yeah. swords just like next to their seat i love yeah, that. yeah i like how everybody complains about that in the movie and it's like of all the absurd things that go on in this movie you're going to complain about airport security and people having swords on, on <laughs> yeah planes. that's like that's the part that's unbelievable it really took me out of it so this is the this is the montage she's writing the list i forget and yeah and she's writing that out and we have hattori's uh words in japanese <laughs> 
決してまっすぐな道ではない Revenge is never a straight line. It's a forest. And like a forest, it's easy to lose your way, to get lost, to forget where you came in. And then we have a montage of、um, Bill's brother, Bud, who we'll meet next week. And then、uh, and Elle as well, and Bill.、Um, and that is where we have the. One more thing, Sophie. Is she aware her daughter is still alive? And that's, that was a huge hit seeing that for the first time. That was just stunning.、Um, and credits.、Mm. Why, why does Quentin Tarantino want so much revenge? What, what is he? Why is he.、Uh... Why、This is, is a great question. Why is he so obsessed with revenge? Well, it seems like it, it's gone pretty well for him. Like, what's,、uh, what's he looking for? What does he need? How do we heal him? It's a, it's a common thread, though, in a lot of these movies. And I think it is like one of the, if you break it down, it's like a quick elevator pitch movie. You can summarize a movie and, and work in, you know, the MacGuffin that, that carries her through the movies to get to Bill. I think. It, I think this, is I think something... like,、uh, this is why I didn't like Janko. I was like, okay,、mm. this is like another revenge story. Like, it's the same、yeah. thing as Kill、so、Bill. So, Inglorious Bastards is awesome. Exactly. I,、yeah. I wasn't crazy about Inglorious Bastards. I thought it was like, fine. You've had、um, enough revenge in your life. You're satiated. I, seriously. I mean, I, so I have never gone back and rewatched Django or Inglorious Bastards. I probably should.、Um, Hateful Eight, I liked a lot. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not a revenge movie. Yeah.、Um, and I loved it. I thought, that was, I thought that was great. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood gets rid of the conceit of there being like、uh, a revenge genre like story. And then it's just like, we're just doing the cinema as cinema stuff. Like, I'm just, I'm just doing like the stuff that I like about,、uh, about making <laughs> movies. Right.、Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's also interesting comparing to like Wes Anderson, another director we've watched recently, where the, like it's a director who has a very clear like house style.、Um, like, you know what you're watching when you see one of you see a Wes Anderson movie or you see a Quentin Tarantino movie.、Um, and like it, it does have that quality too, Wes Anderson does, where it's like it could very much not work. Like, this could just be. You know, I mean, particularly like the weirder ones, like, you know, all of his movies are weird, but like、uh, the ones where it's just like it becomes so much about the style、um, that if you really start, if it doesn't jibe for you,、um, it doesn't work.、Uh, but he somehow he pulls it in. He somehow pulls it in. Like he's got moves. Mikey, your final rating and review. Yeah, I guess what you were, I, those other movies are, I think are great in the similar theme, but I think the execution. I feel like he was firing on all cylinders in this movie.、Um, I will say, I, was, I, was, I probably haven't seen this movie. I, I don't know. I should have checked my letterbox when the last time was. And I worried if I'd rewatch it,、um, if seeing all the other movies that kind of influenced it and just having been more mature, bigger, wider palette、uh, of movie going, if it didn't hold up. And I、right. will say, I was, I was glued from the beginning. Like, I couldn't peel my eyes off the screen. Uh, I've never been more psyched for a sequel movie in my life, and I still am at five stars for this movie. Yes.、Awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Go, go. I also, I mean, I similarly was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this movie. Like, I, I you know, like,、I've, I'm not a, as much a Tarantino fan.、Uh, and 
I really didn't remember seeing it, but like it is, it's just totally captivating. And like, the, especially like all, everything that happens in Japan is just phenomenal. And I feel like when I watched Lady Snowblood, I was like, oh, was, Tarantino's a fucking hack. Like he just lifted all this shit. But then seeing the movie again, seeing Kill Bill again, it just like, I was like, oh, like he's, he is doing it, but consciously and all this stuff we already talked about. And it, it still just feels like super compelling and great. So I really loved it. It was also fun watching with Crystal, who like was fucking super into it, like in a way that like I didn't expect or uh, wasn't aware of. Like, so I learned something about my wife um, in seeing this movie. Thank you. You have me to thank for that. Yeah. You've deepened our relationship. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'll I'll give it four and a half. I'm I'm like, I think it's as good as I'm giving it as good as bound from last week. Mm. Mm. But not quite good enough to earn the coveted (laughs) five star. Yeah, I um, felt sick uh, listening to Mackenzie saying that she watched this movie when she was a teenager, by the way. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. We have these we have these young people among us. Kill Bill Volume One is an easy five banger. Like oh, wow. no question oh, for wow. me at all. And I would say I I will put this up at the top of the list. I'll I'll put it alongside Pulp Fiction for my favorite quentin tarantino film up to this point and then we'll talk about next week we'll talk about where we go from there um wow one star better than ghostbusters that's amazing (laughs) and you you put it in your letterbox phase right (laughs) yeah i did yes yes this is currently sitting what what got kicked off in my top four i dropped i bumped alien it was tough jesus wow Wow. yeah that was painful that was hard wow wow wow. this this i will say yeah it just it moves me I will say, contrary to what you said, like I, I do think *Inglorious Bastards* is a better movie. I will say, in terms of what wow. he, what he does, Whoa. and I think it's more accessible to people. Like, if you were trying to show them, never watched a Quentin Tarantino movie, show me his best. I would show that. This is that's a movie you can kind of show. I don't know, grandparents. Where this is, <laughs> let's watch it. Let's watch a na- you know, Nazi get his grandparents love World War Two stuff. <laughs> it's true. But, it's true. But right. like this, it's more accessible where this is maybe more acquired. And, and I think the violence, even though as cartoony is, turns a lot of people off. So I would say that that's a better entry into him. I think that's true. But like uh, when I watched Matrix Resurrections, I was like, am I over action movies? Like, am I tired of watching action movies? And then right. I watched this and no, I love this. I love everything about this and it all works 100%. Um, so, so I am on board. All right, Mikey, who would Tilda Swinton play? Oh, man. Oh, man. I had forgotten about that part. I'm stressed. Um, all right, I'm stressed gotta, for I Mikey. Don't uh, say would, Hattori Hanzo. I have two answers. I'll have my comedy one. She will play Buck. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be interesting for her to be Bill, actually. Okay. I think for her to be Oh, the, my the God. Boss. Wow. Wow. I like it. I like it. Jason. I, I'm Well, you said Hattori Hanzo. And I kind of think mm. that's interesting. Like, what if she did? Like, that would be pretty great. Like, it would be a you reignite the, it's the old one situation all you over again. Reignite the controversy of the old one. <laughs> no, she can't play that. Um, I don't know. There's not a lot of other. There's. I'm going. I, she, we're just gonna have to embrace the controversy. She's gonna. Right. Sunny Chief is gonna have to get a different job. <laughs> Okay, well then I will take her as I'll take her as L Driver, like in the uh, nurse's uniform and uh, and the whistling and all that. I think that'd be pretty fun. 
You're just choosing that. That's the safest one because it's a white woman. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. You, you don't want to. You don't get I don't want to get in trouble. We got. She's going to be on the pod probably. We're going to get removed weeks. from Spotify for this podcast as it is. <laughs> if they don't remove you for saying pussy wagon, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we'll be saying. in real. We'll be in real trouble. All righty. Well, let us get to our letters. We have two letters. And the first one is from, uh, this guy never misses. Here we go. Our hero. Doombud. Hey, it is Corey from Austin, Texas, calling in about Kill Bill Part 1, 2003. Did it really come out in 2003? And is it really 2022? Man, where is our li- where are our lives going? It's too fast. Everything is going way too fast. <laughs> anyway, I love Kill Bill. I love Quentin Tarantino. I unapologetically love Quentin Tarantino. Um, H.U. and I were old enough to remember all the hubbub when he broke onto the scene and then all the backlash that quickly built against him for being derivative, not unoriginal, blah, 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 all sorts of controversies over the years with Quentin. Um, I don't think he's derivative, and I do think he's got a really great just mind and love for cinema, and he likes to reference it, and I think that's wonderful. And he doesn't just copy things like people say he does. I think he really does put his own unique spin on it. Directors have been doing this for decades, Mm. but they seem to do it with, like, heady headier material or other films that are highly regarded and not exploitation or action or, you know, the genres that Quentin just kind of wallows in. And those are the kind of genres I really enjoy as well. Uh, but he doesn't just like exploitation and he doesn't just like, you know, trashy films, direct-to-video kind of nonsense. He also really does have an appreciation for, for all things great. Anyway, I'm going on way too long. Kill Bill's great. I love Kill Bill. I wish him and Uma wouldn't have had that falling out after that car accident on set with the Kill Bill stuff uh, because I can only imagine her and all the roles that went to her stunt double, who is fine, an excellent stunt person, but she's not the best actress, and I can only imagine Uma in all those roles that, um, you know, <laughs> Death Proof would have been a better movie if Uma was in it. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, who would Tilda Swinton play? Sophie Fatale. I'd love to hear Oh, that's a good off. choice. Nice. All right. No offense, Dilda, but I think it'd be a really cool special event. All right. Love you guys. Take it easy. I'll be calling in for part two. Yes. Nice. Mm. That's a good choice. That's really good. I, I like what he said there, too, because I think, you know, that's what art is. We kind of build upon what came before it. And I think that's, you know, this is no different example. Sophie Fatale, I just, <laughs> I meant to mention. When she dumps her body like down the hill, I thought it was like the funniest thing. <laughs> That's great. I love the rolling I love and rolling that. and rolling. Yeah. And they're like they're like down at the bottom of the hill to like receive her like a toddler on a sled on a snow day. <laughs> That's no, that hilarious. Good, Corey. All right, here we go. Final voicemail. Thank you, Corey. Dune Pod, Mikey, Kev here. Uh, you know the drill. Short little story and then a question for you. You know, I first saw Kill Bill Part One when I took it out of the Emma S. Clark Memorial Library when I was 11 years old. Now, should I have had that movie? Absolutely fucking not, right? But my aunt was taking me to the library. She wasn't really looking at what I was taking out. My mother didn't care because it was out of her purview and it wasn't Grand Theft Auto, so what did it matter? 
And so as a result, I saw this movie like 10 years before I should have. And it was my first Tarantino, my first Grindhouse, Kung Fu, any any category you could put Kill Bill in, it was my first. Um, and it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe what I could understand, which was not much of it. Uh, I have a question for you guys. What is the first movie you saw that you shouldn't have? Um, I have another one. My grandparents and I used to take my little brother and I when we were kids to the movies every couple weekends. And, you know, we would split up into whatever we wanted to see. But... I had to have a guardian with me to see Zack Snyder's 300. And the look on my grandfather's face when he realized what he had signed up for. (laughs) Uh, I still think about it to this day. Anyway, what is your first taboo movie? Your first banned movie you saw? The first movie you weren't allowed to see that you saw? The first R-rated movie you shouldn't have seen, etc.? Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, Kev. I, I meant to I meant to get a Kev's questions sounder. Uh, yeah, we built. need a Kev's questions. It's, it's, it's the it's best part of the soon. podcast. It's coming soon. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. So, so Jason, do you want to go first with your... Well, uh, first of all, I just want to call out, like, Kev might be number one library utilizer of anyone that I know. Like, I think Kev <laughs> has been hitting the libraries hard. That's it a turns theme. out for a long, a long time. And I respect that libraries are palaces <laughs> and, uh, and good on for Kev for taking advantage. Um, I saw the first, the, the first movie that I saw that like, uh, I should, is it the first movie I saw I shouldn't have? Is that yeah, the first yeah. question? Mm-hmm. I was taken to see Poltergeist in the theater when I was six or something like that. Like Poltergeist that is, 80, is 82, wrong. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was six. Uh, and I was told like, it was a ghost movie, like Casper, the friendly <laughs> ghost. Uh, and that fucked me up like that was that was not a chill move by my father um and yeah i like still am traumatized by that movie like where the meat rots and dances around like that's like that's we're doing poltergeist like, we're doing poltergeist uh, in, like, i know six I'm gonna have to, we're gonna have to deal with this trauma when we go through that so that's <laughs> okay. a that's a big one and then the first like not ban but like really like like i also saw like stripes when I was really young sure. and all the boobies and stripes, I think were like sort of, you know, foundational way to, yeah. Foundational, but way too young. Like there was, I didn't need to be seeing all the, all the boobies and stripes at that age for sure. <laughs> nice. Mikey, you said alien. And I think that was like my first one. Like it was probably a little too scary. I was a little older though. I think I was like 13 when I saw it. And I mean, that's mm. cross. I, I probably so, was old enough, but I wasn't ready. It was definitely scary. But at the same time, it was the, the joke in my family. My sister Kaz, she watched for some reason, whenever we visited my dad's house, he put on rated R movies and she was exposed to like last of Mohegans and, and alien. She, I think she was seven when she first saw that movie. And so oh my God. I can't complain. I'm trying yeah. to think. I'm trying to think of I, I the whole time I was trying to think of a movie and that's the only there one was I some, come up with. There was some like Twitter like meme this week about it was like what was like the first what what were you like banned like not allowed to see or something like that? Mm, like what was the first right. thing you weren't allowed to see? Um like you were told you you were too young to see or you weren't your yeah. parents like wouldn't let you see. And I really don't remember any example of that for me. Like because like if you're our generation, like you know, there just wasn't like, it wasn't that accessible. Like you couldn't get porn. Yeah, like, right. re- I mean, some, you know, someone would find a uh, skin mag in the woods or something like that, but like there wasn't like hardcore pornography, uh, at least like not in suburban St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and you know, the, the violence that you would see similarly was like, you know, was like commando. The first time I saw commando, it was like some <laughs> kid's house and he was like, 
I'm going to show you, this shit's going to blow your fucking mind. You've never seen anything like this. And, and I hadn't, but it's commando. It's not like, you know, faces of death or something like that, which yeah, is like when I got to college and you get to college in the nineties and then there's some kid who's got like all of like the VHSs that are on like red tapes and it's like, fa- you know, faces <laughs> of death, actual hardcore pornography. And all of a sudden you go from like having seen nothing to like, what the fuck has been going on behind? It's like a real David Lynch. Like, you know, yeah, there's a bizarre <laughs> twisted world that you didn't know about that was being put on video this whole time. Yeah. Wow. They don't I, have I, that in the library, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there. Well, I, I watched Excalibur uh, by the time I was like 11, I think. Um, and then I, my dad also had like a beta laying around of Clockwork Orange. So similar mm, to Ian yeah. de Borja, I watched that far too early. Yeah. And then went with uh, uh, like family friends to go see Hot Dog the movie in 1983. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, Hot Dog the movie. I remember that too. That was an uncomfortable, you know, with like the deacons from the church and stuff. That was like an uncomfortable uh, ride home after that was. That's the thing is like in the 80s or like, you know, before the internet, you could just end up watching like softcore pornography with your parents by accident. Like, because like, you know, like whatever, like HP, you know, like someone would accidentally switch to Skinamax at mm-hmm. the wrong time. And like all of a sudden it's just like boobies on TV and, you know, your mom's there. Like it's that these kids don't know about these kind of dangers that used to exist back then very tough yeah, they don't know our pain i thought kevin was gonna ask what was your first leg dart movie I thought that was <laughs> mikey p what do you have to plug buddy i am going to be appearing on the movie mixtape with what show, dirk feel good and oh Marcy. my god wow that's great okay yeah, we great. discuss one of my favorite movies it's uh akira kurosawa's high and low so we, we oh talked wow about that that's a great one and jesus fun. and it was fun Wow. So that's actually coming out around here, actually. So uh, around the same time. So okay, great. So people should check that. Should should check that out. Jason, uh, how how are you holding in after the uh, the rough uh, the rough going Ron had with uh, seventy millimeter last week? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm 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 living my best <laughs> life. I've moved away from as we talked about last week. I moved away from movies completely, and I moved on to TV. And now I don't even I don't even have that. So it's I just moved, all bluey. I'm, it's all- I'm moved to books. I'm I'm back to books now. Okay. Um, so uh, I finished the actual star mm. uh, by Monica Byrne, uh, mm-hmm. which I talked about in Discord and is excellent. Uh, it's a story across two thousand years, tells uh, the fall of the Mayan Empire, uh, and then a civilization that is built into the far future based on crazy AI and um, anarcho bullshit. It's great. Mm. I really like it. I uh, recommend that book. And now I am reading for the first time um, Hyperion, which I've never read what? before. What? Oh, my um, God. Yeah, which I know everyone loves. And it's just like for some reason I've tried to read it multiple times and I just didn't make it out of the prologue. I didn't make yeah, it out of yeah, like yeah. the the yeah, slow. Yeah. It's not really that slow. I just didn't make it out of the prologue. It's kind of like what people complain about with Dune. Uh, and I knew it was good. It's just like I, I just got stymied like literally three or four times. But now I am past the prologue. I'm into the the priest tale. Yeah. And it is fucking yeah. amazing. Like yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. it like it turned the corner for me earlier this afternoon. And I was like, we're cancel all plans. We're listening. We're only <laughs> listening to this book now. No um, one can so hurt you now. I'm very excited about that. <sighs> I love it. Everyone read Hyperion. This is your assignment. Read Hyperion by next week. And that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason and Mikey P for an amazing conversation. 
Next week, we conclude our journey with the somehow even more amazing Kill Bill Volume 2. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us online whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. Dune Pod is a Tape Deck Podcast John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.